It's good to be here today, and we are thankful we made it on time, and <laughs> we're thankful for all of those who have assembled, and we pray that what we have to say or share will be useful to you in Christian growth, uh, if not personally, uh, with those someone you know. You know, we learn not only for our own personal relationship with God, making sure things are right, and we make sure that... Uh, that is true by examining ourselves, even in the Lord's Supper. That's something no one else can do for you. That's something we have to do ourselves. And so we've come here to make sure within ourselves that we've got the right relationship with God and we're doing the, and saying the right things, but also in a relationship with each other and the world in which we live. The relationship with each other is that next level of relationship that we watch out for one another we care for one another elders feed the flock they protect the flock so we have a flock uh mentality instead of this world which the society is your neighborhood we find that in christ that family is our spiritual family and we need to be closer to them than anybody in the world we need to have a relationship that the term brother and sister is not just a, a weird name we use, but it is actually how we feel and how we have invested in each other's lives. This is our family. You see, we go from the individual. When we're little children, we think of ourselves. Little kids cry because they're, they're wet or they're hungry or something. It's not because they're trying to irritate you. You know, that's not a sign of demon possession whenever a kid wakes you up in the middle of the night. The point is, is that they are very self-aware. And they go from being very self-aware and only self-aware to where they become aware of their mother and father. And everybody thinks that's so sweet. The first time they say that, mom, or say dad first. You know, who is he going to say first? There was a contest in our house as to who was what the child was going to acknowledge either mom or dad first. Yeah, we were sick. But anyway, the whole point I'm getting at is, you know, we have this relationship that is very, the child then broadens his spectrum of those included in his own thoughts to his mother and father, that his brothers and sisters. And then, and God knows that. This is the way we grow. This is the way we are. Here's the reason why, and, and I didn't want to get off too much here, but we're not saved as a bunch, like a bunch of grapes. We're not saved like that. We find that in the, in the seven churches of Asia, he tells them, some of you guys are sinning, some of you aren't doing right, and then he doesn't say, all of you shall walk with me in white. He says, some of you shall walk with me in white. He tells them, I'm sorry, I'm not saving you as a bunch. This is something that is individual. It's personal. And that's why Christianity is so important that we try to save each other, even as husbands and wives and as mothers and fathers to their children and as children to their parents. We strive to help each other be spiritually successful and saved because we know the potential is always there for us to grow weary and lose heart and quit. So we look out for one another in the body of Christ. And this is our worldview. 
And this is what I'm talking about. This is our worldview. And because of this, we know the importance of us being right with God. We strive to save others in the church. We try to bring others into this relationship with God. And that is the scope of what we're trying to do. We're not trying to run the government. We're trying to be faithful to each other and faithful to God. That's the most important thing. Now, we do interact with our government, and he tells us that's the next step out of, if you will, that church, and we obey God rather than man. We are supposed to obey it, except as Romans 13, but we recognize that there are limitations. We obey the, just like we obey our parents, it's only in the Lord. Just like we obey our husband or, or our wife. If they told us to do something sinful, we would say, no, I've got to obey God rather than man. Well, the same thing is true in our worldview with our government. We generally, on principle, obey them until they tell us to do something that is immoral or unethical or not pleasing to God. And then we don't go kill other Christians in the name of government and think it's pleasing to God. We don't go to war with each other like that. We have made our swords into plowshares. The prophecies are true. So, anyway, now I know I'm getting off. Okay, I need to come back. The point I'm getting at is, is our worldview and how we view ourselves in it is very important. And we need to walk by faith. And so today, I want to talk about seven lies our kids will be told and how we can fight against these lies. And we can help our children to have the right worldview of where they fit and also where they do not fit. That is significant and important because the world will tell our children, you don't fit. And we need to say to them, I'm sorry, that kind of fitting isn't what is required by God. This kind of behavior is required. This is fit. This is acceptable in the eyes of God. And so our our ruling worldview, our worldly worldview demands that we pay attention to it. And we as the church have to say sometimes, no. No. That kind of value system, those kind of values, those kind of judgments, we're not going to use it in our home or in our life or with our children and tell them this is important or this is significant. And so our children are taught seven lives that affect their worldview that I want to talk about this morning. And, and, and I believe it's scriptural. I believe it's beneficial. I believe it's Christian for us to be aware of these lies that are told by so many programs and so many movies and so many stories that are given here in the world today. We are supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. We've got to understand there's something bigger going on here than just politics or team, uh, is our team winning and things like that. So let's talk about these seven lies. Uh, the uh, seven lies your kids will believe unless you do something. And let's talk about what it is that they actually, these lies are and how we can do something about it. First of all, I feel it, it must be true. If there's anything that postmodernism, and I'm going to talk philosophically here for just a second. Postmodernism says 
is it true for you? You know, I'm sorry, that's true for him. He has these feelings and everything. And we have to acknowledge their feelings, whether it be homosexual, whether it be gender identity, whether it be whatever. You know, I identify as fill in the blank. You know, somebody said they identified as a as another race, another gender, another sexual, another sex. Well, what if they begin to say, I identify as a turtle. I identify as another animal. I identify as God. Oh, you go somewhere here. Neurosis takes over, and that's what I'm saying. Is somewhere here somebody's crazy, and so that's what I'm talking about here. We have to help our kids get a handle on truth and what it is actually true in this world, because the world is going to tell it. No, I know what you think. But it's not that way. It's this. I identify as this or that or this is truth or that is truth. I feel it. It must be true. From the beginning of time, people have said, I want it. It must be all right. The book of Proverbs warns us time and time again that whenever a man sets his heart on something, his heart will tell him that's good. And it's not necessarily good. That it's approved. A man's ways are right in his own eyes. That's what Proverbs says. Our kids are always right. I remember talking to mom and dad, trying to convince them that what I wanted was right. And their thinking was wrong. (laughs) That was the big task of young, being young was to try to get your way. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about here. Some people say, let children make up their mind about their identity, about their sexual identity. Don't bias them. And someone said, that is the stupidest thing to do to your children in the world. Somebody says, I don't let my children make decisions about their life for the same reason that I don't let them them make decisions about supper in a candy store. It's because a kid will choose what they want rather than what is rationally good for them. And so one of the first things we have to do is understand that many, many people will tell our children, let them do what they want. It's like we want no restrictions. Well, that's true. Our rebellion to having any God in our life is the essence of the tussle of life. We want what we want. We would all love to be God. But God's God and you're not. That's the great truth of life. I've got a t-shirt that says that. There are two great facts of life. One, there is a God. Two, you're not him. You're not him. Kids want to be gods of their life. But that's not, I didn't make this world. I didn't, but if I made it, it might be different. But it didn't. This isn't your church. This isn't your world. God's God, you're not. And so the first lie, the first lie that kids are told is, if if you feel it, if I feel it, it must be true. 
You know, if we if we um, give groups of kids a recipe, if I say a bunch of kids, we're going to break up into teams, and I want to give you a recipe. I want you to make something. And I hand out these recipes, but only one of the recipes I hand out is right. What do I think is going to come from that? I think there's going to be a lot of disasters. There's going to be a lot of boiled over. There's going to be a lot of oven cleaning. There's going to be a lot of uh, things that nobody wants to eat. I remember the first time I left home, and I remember Mom making dish rag soup, we called it. She took all of the leftovers and poured it into a pot, made stew. And I thought, that's how you do it. So I went into the refrigerator, I dumped everything in a pot, put it on there, and took one bite of it and said, we're going out to eat. This was nasty. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. And I wondered, there must be a secret ingredient or something that I've missed. The point is, is recipes are recipes for a reason. <laughs> and you have to, you have to, and if you want something to taste like your mom made it, you got to make it according to her recipe. And if you want your kids to turn out right, you have to make it according to God's recipe. You have to do it God's way, not your way. And so, so the same thing is true with any kind of thing. You have to teach your kids that truth is truth and that their feelings are not to be the follow. They're, they're not to just do what they want to do. We find that, that your child may be allergic to, to peanuts. Your child may be having all kinds of maybe health problems. You have to tell them that they may need to limit what they, and they, they may see that other people can, can eat that. They can, but you can't. The, we need to teach our children you can't do everything you want. You can't have everything you want. You can't do everything that you want to in life. You have to make choices. And some of them are limited by ability. Some of them are limited by your sexuality. Some of them are limited by your whatever it might be, by your commitments to God. But that's the whole point, is we have to teach our children, just because you feel it, doesn't make it acceptable or true to God. Is the Bible objective or subjective? Do you just look for verses that justify you or not? That is not humbly handling the word rightly when you go to the Bible just to find verses that justify your behavior. I've had people do this all the time with me. They do it all the time. They'll go to verse and say, look, here's the What about that? Well, that doesn't mean it's acceptable. You could believe it to be true, but it's not true. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and life. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word sanctify means set apart as holy. If we're going to share God's holiness, if we're going to imitate that character trait of God, then we have to study the Word of God because it reveals God's holiness to us. John 17, 17, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. We only know something is right and acceptable to God when the Word of God reveals it to be so. And then we know it is pleasing to God. If it's not in the Word of God, we don't know if it's pleasing to God. That's the whole point. We can't know that. We are not walking by faith. We're walking by feelings. 
if we don't verify or examine everything carefully to hold fast to those things which are found true. Moral codes, limitations are given to us by God. Don't let your kids do something sinful just because it's cute. Don't let them do something sinful just because it's cute. If it feels right, it must be true. First Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Excuse me. And I'll go on. This is an important one, though. It's very similar to the second one. We'll get there. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. For I delivered to you of first importance that which also that you received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and into the twelve. Going on down in this passage, he says in verse 10, By good grace of God I am what I am, and... And his grace towards me did not prove in vain, but I labor even more than them all. Yet not I, but grace of God with me. Well, And then he goes on. Now, verse 12. If Christ be preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He continues in the rest of this chapter to defend the fact of the resurrection. And he said, I don't care how you feel about Christ, whether you like him or whether you don't like him. The fact of the matter is, He's the Son of God, and it's been proven by the resurrection. Deal with it. He said, don't go changing it just because you want to deal with, have a different morality or different ethics. You know, whenever I talk to my friends, and I hope you do with yours, the fact is, what church do you go to should not reflect your preferences at all. In fact, the more it fails to reflect your personal preferences, probably is a sign that you're doing it right. The fact of the matter is, is the Bible is the one that sets our preferences. It tells us you and I don't get to pick who the Lord adds to the church. We don't get to pick. The Lord doesn't say, Glenn, do you like this? He doesn't do that. He says, Glenn, I added this guy to the church. You love him. You help him be saved. You have, yeah, he's ignorant. Yeah, teach him. Guide him. Whatever. I don't care what color he is. I didn't ask you. The point is, the Lord adds to the church. We don't get to pick. We don't vote. A church that votes people in or out is wrong, not according to the scriptures. Now, we have a problem with people who sin, yeah. But we aren't the ones that add them to the church. The Lord does. And so he tells us here, we've got to accept the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, or we're still in our sins. Christ be not raised, and we're still in your sin. There's facts that we have to believe. Okay, number two, let's go on. Follow your heart. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be the dirty jobs and somebody's got to do it guy, but... I am trying to say that sometimes our hearts will lead us to places that Christ isn't there or it wouldn't be there. Well, I want to do that. Jesus wouldn't do that. Then you don't do it. That's the whole point. We sometimes have to check our heart. We allow our heart to be examined by God, by his word. You do you is often a statement that I've heard a lot of times. Your heart is the most reliable guide. No. 
Bible says the heart is deceitful above a lot of things. You know, I like I like Walt Disney. They said this is Disneyland or Disney World. It's a place where you can dream and dream really dreams will come true here. Well, I've been there. Some of them, <laughs> some of them haven't come true, but some of them have. But the whole point is sometimes kids grow up believing a lie, and it messes up their life. They believe that they can be, they can fly. Do you know? Back whenever Superman was on TV, how many kids went to the hospital with broken legs after jumping off the roof? A lot of kids. <laughs> they would wear little red tapes and jump off the roof and, I believe I can fly. I can, well, you believed it, but reality slammed you into the ground. And that's the, that's the problem you have with it. Follow your heart. No, you need to double check that. You need to examine it. You need to submit it to the cauldron of God's word. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. I sought in my heart to know certain things, and he immersed it in wisdom and knowledge and all different kinds of things, in deeds, buildings, and, and everything. And he said, this is from what I found. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's a whole duty of man. Whenever he got to the end, he finally realized I can't do everything this I can't do it all. Well, we find that we justify our behavior. A lot of times people say, follow your heart. Well, yeah, I love that person too. I love that person too. So it leads to polygamy or divorce because a person can't control or limit what they have in this world. I had one person even blame God for his immorality. Well, if God didn't want me to lust after him, he shouldn't have made him so beautiful in the world. I got to step back. The lightning's about to smack this guy down. The whole problem is, is God knew what he was doing. And he wants you to pick one and act morally and ethically right with that person. Don't treat the wife of your youth in an unrising way. That's what the book of Song of Solomon talks about. That's what the other passages talk about. You pick one, and then you stick with one. That is God's design. And that's where he said, so don't go following your heart. When, oh, she isn't my soulmate. She's my soulmate. He's not my soulmate. They're my soulmate. There's people looking around, a whole bunch of people. Well, they're all my soulmate. One guy married his car. An idiot. But the whole point I'm getting at here is, when we follow our heart, it will lead us astray. We need to follow God and make and discipline our heart to follow God. So, sometimes <coughs> sometimes our little children, and I'm going to talk about children here, because I'm talking about lies our, our children believe. Sometimes our children will want to kick or push someone or, or uh, d- demand that they, no, I, this, you know, this is mine and everything. We teach them to share, not because it's a of their heart. It's because this is what God, God created man and sometimes he lets us do things that he doesn't necessarily want us to do, but he wants to allow us to do so that we'll learn sometimes the consequences of our behavior. Some guy, some guy, Bible says no, God says no, and then we no God, I really and God goes really? <laughs> is that what you really want? 
I'm not sure you really want that. And so the whole point is, is we need to trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, in all our ways. And that word trust in the Lord with all our ways doesn't mean I'll shoot all the side and then I'll trust the Lord will make something good out of it. No. It means that you check it out and make sure it's the Lord's will first. It's within the parameters of his will. Some desires are good and some are bad in the desires of the heart. And we need to sometimes squelch our desires for the, for the right reason. Number three, love is affirming everything I feel. Well, of course this is wrong. We know this. If we're, if we're loving, we'll never make anyone feel uncomfortable. No, you can't be a successful parent if you believe that. Part of There's a difference between being your child's friend and your child's parent. You can be a friend to your child as much as you can, but there's a time whenever it's called on for you to do something uncomfortable and say, I'm going to discipline you for that. No, this is no. This is a boundary, and it's going to be known. You know, that's one thing that I appreciate about dad and mom, and even though she's here, I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway, is uh, did I think they always made right decisions? No, I don't think they did sometimes. But at least they were consistent. If Dad said it was going to be wrong yesterday and today, it's probably going to be wrong tomorrow, too. <laughs> at least he was consistent. <laughs> so until he changed his mind or something like that. But the whole point is, if you believe something is wrong, then you don't do it because the circumstances are different. That is a horrible lesson to teach your children. That you're inconsistent because your feelings affected your judgment. That's not the message you want to be sending your kids. You need to be sending them the message. If this is a boundary God put into place, you never cross it. It's always wrong. And that's the whole point I'm getting at. Love does not affirm everything we feel like doing. We should not celebrate necessarily how everybody else feels. There are weddings we should not go to. There are things and people we should not affirm them, even if they're our friends, because to do so sends a wrong message. And that's what we need to teach our children. Do not follow a crowd to do evil. I don't care if all of your other friends are jumping off a bridge. I don't care if everybody wants to affirm this person. You can't affirm that. And so we need to teach our children that it's not everything is does not determine or isn't determined based on feelings. What about love? Isn't love love? Yes. Love is love and sex is sex. And they are different. Jesus loved the sinners while we were yet sinners. But he never approved of sin. Never. And that's different. Yes, I can love a sinner. Number two, I never have to approve of what they do. I never have to endorse, support, and encourage. No. No. That's different. And so that's what we need to teach our children. I don't care if they're your best friend. There's limits to what you can approve and what you can't approve. So, love is not affirming everything somebody else feels, so to speak. 
the rich young ruler, 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 I can't believe I said that, uh, Matthew 10, and verse 17 through 22, Jesus loved the rich young ruler, but he corrected him, didn't he? But so you like something. <laughs> Go and sell everything you have. Wow. He didn't say that to everybody, but he said to him because he knew where his heart was and that he wouldn't be saved if he didn't change his heart about his will. And so Jesus knew him, loved him enough to correct him. And so that's what we need to do with our kids as well. We need to love them enough to correct them. Faith is the opposite of knowledge. This is a lie some people are telling us. Faith is jumping into the abysses. It's a fuzzy, it's jumping off a cliff where you can't see bottom. No, that's not the way faith is. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, a conviction about things not seen. That's what Hebrews 11, verse 1 and through 6 tell us, is that faith is based upon something. Faith is not the absence of evidence. Faith is based on evidence. You believe Jesus rose from the dead because there's evidence for it. There's reasons. Jesus said, they are they, talking of the Old Testament, they are they which testify of me. In other words, he's saying, the Old Testament authenticates that I am who I say I am. You go back and check what you read. You go back and check it out and see if I am not fulfilling prophecy. John, to his disciples, go back and tell John what you see and what you hear. That's the whole point. Jesus said, I'm not asking you to make a leap in the face of reason. I'm asking you to make a faith, to believe based on reason. I'm giving you a reason. The Bible says be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And so faith is reasonable. Faith is based on evidence. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I have reasons for that belief. And so our faith has evidence. Faith is not an absence of evidence. Faith is based on evidence. Let's go on. Humans are the product of blind evolution. Your children are going to be taught this. At some point in time, they're going to be said that uh, we're just merely the result you know, some of us have evolved further than others and stuff like that. I like the little picture cartoon I saw one time where it showed two cell phones looking at a picture of a wall phone that had a, thing, a, a cord on it. And it says, our ancestors used to have tails. And uh, yeah. the, whole point, <laughs> the whole point of getting at it is there's some people that believe that all about us. But there is no evidence. The more evidence, the increase in evidence has led to an increase in reasons for faith. Our DNA. Our DNA is amazing. And they found out you mess it up just a little bit and you destroy the potential for the next generation. And that's what I'm trying to say is, my friends, there is no reason why you should doubt God's truth about how he made us. They, science, true science, Facts support the Bible. They never contradict the Bible. But theories contradict it often. And so sometimes theories can be bought and paid for, and Satan is spending a lot of money trying to get his ideas bought and paid for. And this is an effort to get moral accountability out of the picture of our existence. 
most people know within their heart there's a God. Universally, people believe in God. You have to be taught unbelief. Listen to me. I want you to write that down. I believe we're born believing. We have to be taught unbelief. And so protect your children. They know there's a God. They know. And the reasons aren't worth changing a religion for. Yes, atheism is a religion. It's a religious idea. It's not a political one. It's not a scientific conclusion. Most atheists haven't even been off the planet to check and see if God's on the backside of the moon or anyplace else. They've not checked out and say, oh, there is no God. They believe it. Atheism is a belief system. Is it reasonable? No. In fact, a lot of atheists are coming to believe. It's kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing. Okay, anyway. Number six. You are the one you're looking for. <laughs> you have all you need within. This is existentialism's foray into this. Um, I didn't put this in here for a long time until I watched Frozen. <laughs> you hunt, hunt, hunt. I, I found that I was with myself the whole time. The one I was looking for was with me all the time. I just want to slap her. <laughs> Wait, oh, never mind. I'm not in, really, I'm not in slapping everybody. But the whole point I'm getting at here is there's a lot of things that children are taught, and they believe it. They go, I don't need nobody, I don't need mommy, I don't need I don't need God. All I need is me. All, some of the, this, this propaganda is about getting kids to break the parental covenants that we have with each other and go our own way. You can go better. You can do better than your suspicious, superstitious parents. I heard a parent call that one time because of their faith. Oh, come on. Your parents are superstitious. Why do you believe what they believe? Don't you have enough guts to believe, trust in your own mind? Well, your kids might believe in this life. They might pick up this life. And you need to sit down and talk with your kids about why things are... You know, we think as long as they're around, as long as we protect them, protecting is one thing. Objectively teaching them is another. We need to be able to share our faith objectively not just environmentally. So, we're teach our children, I'm sorry, there is someone bigger than you, and you need God. And don't let them have this worldview. We have value, yes, but this value comes from God loving us and God wanting us to be saved. We are not in total control of our destiny. And yes, God loves the little handicapped kid down the street as much as he loves you. God loves people who have lower IQs or higher IQs than you. He, he loves them too. To whom much is given, much will be required. To whom little is given, little will be required. The whole point is, is God, he's in control of everything. And people need to make things right with God. But at the same time, we're not, we don't have 
the right to become our own God and have society tell us, I'm sorry if you want to, to abort that baby, you don't have to tell your parents. You can kill it because you're in control. You're the one you're looking for. You make decisions for you. You decide what gender you are. You decide what kind of relationship you have. And last thing, and I've got to get off here, a good God wouldn't judge. Now this is every day. <coughs> every day. People impugn the uh, morality of someone who judges. They say, oh, who are you to judge? And you go, it was just me, nothing. But if I'm quoting Bible to you, you should deal with the author of the Bible. We've got to deal with God on this one. A good God wouldn't judge. Yes, he does. A good God sent Jesus because we had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've sinned against God's morality. We need his grace and his mercy. God did not create you to be a sinner. You chose to be a sinner. You chose to do that which violates God's will. And you need to make things right with them. You need to be reconciled, as our brother said yesterday, to God. We need to be ye reconciled. This idea implies that God, being a good God, won't judge, and that universalism is really the outcome of Judgment Day. My friends, Judgment Day is not about God judging himself, whether he's good or not, good enough to forgive everybody. Judgment Day is going to be about my thoughts, my judgments, my choices, whether they be good or whether they be evil. That's what Romans says. I'm going to give an account to God because I'm made in his image. I have the ability of choice. And God's going to hold me accountable for my choices. And we need to tell our children, will you reap what you sow? There are, there, you're going to be accountable for your judgments. A good God wouldn't judge? Yes, he does. That's why there's a judgment day. So, sometimes a rape judge says a good, a good young man should be let go just because well, he's got good grades, he's got good family, his dad's got a lot of money. So, does that affect morality? God says, the God says a, a judge who holds a bride is unjust and wrong. When people pervert judgment because of bribery, it's wrong. They, it's not about authority. It's about whether they make right judgments. So here's the whole point. We do have a God that judges. But he can and will forgive if we will repent of our sins. God is good because he forgives those who repent of their sins and will confess his name and be baptized for the remission of our sins. God is indeed rich in mercy, but to those who are repentant of their sins. Um, okay. That's a, a long study, and I'm, I'm going to stop. We've had enough of this for this weekend. I'm going to stop. I don't know how long I've gone, but anyway, I've got to quit. My point here is that we need, our kids are going to be taught these lessons through Disney, through their friends, through their teachers, through their culture. And we need to identify these lies 
and help them get a correct worldview. You know, just say, you know, it's not wrong only if mom and dad catch you. It's wrong even if you're never caught. Even if you're never caught. I remember that time my dad gave me a whipping one time. I said, I didn't do it. He said, well, this is for the one that I didn't get. This is for the time I didn't catch it. And I go, I understand it. Still unjust, but I understand it. <laughs> the point is, is that it doesn't matter if you get caught. There's an entire culture built upon the idea that it's all right unless you get caught. Don't let your kids believe that. Say, it's wrong, even if we don't. Even if we don't catch it, it's still wrong. It's still wrong. And so today, here's what I want to say. Are you trying to hide from God? Sinners sin at night because they think they can escape the judgment of God. That he can't, I can't see at night, so therefore God maybe can't either. God says no. Drunkards get drunk at night. Why? We think we hide stuff from God. You can't hide stuff from God. You can't hide it from everybody. You maybe can you can. You can hide it from everybody. You may be the only person that knows that you're sinning. But you cannot hide it from God. You can't. And we need to give our children that insecurity. <laughs> we need to give our children that fact that I don't care what. Whether you get caught or not, it's wrong. Something is morally right and wrong. I hope that this help is helpful. There are, um, th this lesson is, is a lot longer. Um, there is a, well, never mind. I'll tell you about that later. I'm not selling books in the foyer, so I'm not going to recommend it. I, I'm just going to help your kids get a healthy worldview. Help them to understand the nature of the world in which they live. And also help them understand they can do to share their world help them to understand that they can make a stand that God is with me even if no one of my friends are that all of these things I just because I feel it doesn't make it true that I can follow my heart if I've allowed God to examine my heart that I can that I can't justify something by affirming that I just love them God doesn't Faith is the opposite of not. No, no, no. Faith is based on knowledge. Humans are the product of blind evolution, not on your life. That is a lie to, uh, given to justify atheism. You're the one you're looking for. No, you're not. God's the one you're looking for. Draw near to Him. A good God wouldn't judge. No. A good God does judge. That's what holiness is. But a good God is also a God who gives a debt that we cannot pay. God will forgive us if we will repent of our sins. If you stand in need of obeying the gospel, come while we stand in need of sin.